Welcome to Sunday Sermons and other recordings from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis, California. Please visit our website at www.uudavis.org for further information. Thanks, and I'm the senior minister for this congregation, and it is a pleasure to be with you here today. And the Reverend Morgan McLean is out there or over at the Bridge House. She's signing people up for Realm, and if you don't know what that is, talk to your neighbor later and ask them because it's a great thing. And I'm Megan Kelly, your worship associate for this morning. Welcome who come in friendship who long for genuine community. May you be graciously received here as your authentic self. Welcome who come in curiosity, full of questions or simply open. May you embrace wonder and encounter new delights. Welcome who come heavy with fatigue, weary from the troubles of the world, or whose troubles of your particular lives. May you rest and be filled in this sacred space. Welcome who come with joy of flowing rivers and gentle breeze for changing skies and great trees. And may the grace of the world leave a lasting imprint on you. Welcome who come with thanks for the altruism of the earth and the gift of human care. May your grateful heart overflow and bless those around you. Come, let us us celebrate celebrate together this wondrous life. This morning, I invite Caitlin Legault forward to light our chalice. Caitlin grew up in this congregation and is now with her many hats, some of which are a youth advisor and an owl facilitator. And you'll hear more from her in a little bit. Our child's lighting this morning comes from Soul Matters and is entitled, The Flame Arising from Us. We gather knowing that the light cannot reconstitute itself. Without each other, the cold of winter finds us. Leaning on each other, trusting each other, challenging each other. Only from this does the flame emerge. Today, may it rise again. OWL stands for Our Whole Lives, and it's a sexuality education program that incorporates our UU values. A long time ago, when I was just a teenager, I was part of one of the first OWL programs at our church, And then I attended a young adult OWL program at our church. I've also been a facilitator of our middle school OWL and lower and upper elementary OWL. One beautiful thing about our whole lives is the community. I've loved getting to know the participants in all my years leading OWL, each with their own personal awesomeness. But the stories I hear after OWL ends are the most fulfilling. The ideas about consent, using scientific language, understanding your personal needs, and tools to build resiliency, and so much more are discussed in our church group. 
Then they ripple out into the wider community through parents, friends at church, friends at school, strangers on the street, and beyond. Siblings talk to siblings, friends talk to friends, and sometimes even the teens will talk to their parents. Conversations about songs on the radio turn into teachable moments. Does this sound like a healthy relationship? And right now I'm going to invite you to help to reenact that ripple. Because our community is such a big part of our UU values, we recognize that our whole lives curriculum, assisted by our UU values, ripples out into our wider community. For this activity, you may be asked to stand. If you choose not to stand, you can raise your hand instead as you're able to participate. So think about all your time at this church. If you have been an OWL facilitator, please stand up and stay standing or raise your hand. If you have been a participant in OWL, in an OWL class, please stand up. I see you hiding. If you are a family member or a friend of someone that's standing or raising their hand, please stand up. If you've chatted with one of these standing people <laughs> at coffee hour, during church, after church, please stand up or raise your hand. Even if you've just smiled at one of these standing people and that small interaction, please stand up. And finally, if you hope to have a conversation, because future conversations are also part of community, definitely stand up or raise that hand. And even beyond this room, imagine all the lives that have been touched. All the conversations, all the smiles, all the future conversations that have been affected by OWL. OWL gives us the opportunity to ask questions about the people around us and about ourselves. It gives us a chance to normalize language, to give accurate language to experiences. It helps us practice consent and hard conversations, and it brings those things and more into our whole lives and into the lives of the people around us. Thank you. You may sit down now. If your child has been an owl, thank you. We get full classrooms for owl classes and have had a hard time turning anyone away. We often get about half of our group directly from our church and the other half are just from friends they've invited or people that heard about OWL through word of mouth. The class always fills up and we do not advertise very much. For some people, OWL's the first introduction to the UU church and some of them even keep coming. Last elementary session, we had about 20 participants. Some like to sit and have long conversations. Some wanted to move and move and move. And though sometimes it was a lot of silliness and I had to use all my teacher tricks, I couldn't imagine telling any of them, no, you can't come to OWL. 
As volunteers, we just show up and get to bring this brilliant content to the kids. And for the most part, they listen. There were some awkward moments, like when we were passing around items that may be used in puberty, such as hot packs for cramps, running shoes for exercise, acne wash for oily skin, and then we got to the sanitary pad. Nobody wanted to make eye contact with the sanitary pad. And instead of being passed around carefully, it was tossed <laughs> very hectically. So I gently, dramatically opened the pad and stuck it to my shirt. The session continued, and I was the weird one, instead of the items. As our group met and met throughout the weeks, the comfort with language and objects continued to grow. And one of our other inspired volunteers made a tamp doll, a candle with a tampon wick, which of course became our chalice because of our strong UU values. The children and youth that participate in any of our OWL programs come out of it with tools for life and with strong bonds forged over giggles and games. Parents of OWL kids eventually sent all their children through OWL, and facilitators like myself get to hang out with some of the awesome children and youth of our community and come away with some fun stories. I hope you'll continue that ripple that is our whole lives I hope you'll participate, you'll drive your children to church early in the morning, you'll tell your friends so they can send their children, or you might even volunteer as a facilitator. Thank you so much, and now we sing our children to their programming. So you will start to hear these deepening connections messages. And they are sponsored by your stewardship team. Because this, we want to know what you get for your pledging. And this is it. Programs like OWL for not only our youth and children, but for our community. Because although we are not known as the sex church, which was our fear, <laughs> not here, but nationwide, um, this program was written by Planned Parenthood, and then both the UCC denomination and the Unitarian Universalists insert their faith um, perspective to that curriculum. It is a very unique program, and we have every reason to be proud of it. And you are pledging dollars at work. Our reading this morning is Blessing by John O'Donohue. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. My reflection this morning speaks of my mother, who some folks in this congregation know, either personally or because they know her name. My mother is a minister in New York, and I just wanted folks to know that she has read this and approved me sharing this story. 
She even thought about making a little, my name is Reverend Lynn Gardner, and I approved this message, little video, but we didn't end up doing that. Well, true, but she's not the one talking. I spent much of my childhood trying to avoid and disengage with a major aspect of my life. My father is an alcoholic. I resented this and did not want to talk about it. However, as Laura Vandernoot Lipsky states, we don't get to selectively numb. I tried to selectively numb out the part of me that was hurting and upset at my father for many years. This attempt left me in a state of overwhelm. I took this overwhelm and pushed it into trying to control other aspects of my life. I would tell other children what to do. I did not want to talk about my feelings. I would get upset when routines changed or the day did not go as I thought it would. Needless to say, this was not a sustainable approach to this part of my life. When I was 14, my mom, my dad, and I moved from Oregon to California. About two months before we were moving, my mom told me that she thought it would be a very good idea for me to tell at least three people in Oregon that my dad was an alcoholic. She explained that it would be important for me to have shared this part of who I was with the people who I loved before we moved. I rolled my eyes and said something along the lines of, whatever, fine. But I did it. And the overwhelm lessened. I didn't talk to any of these people for very long. I didn't tell them details about what this meant for me, but I said the words out loud for the first time. I used this experience and turned it into a source of resilience. I try my best to remember that I cannot selectively numb and to process and feel my feelings. Eventually, I was able to talk to my dad directly about how I felt. I talk to people I love and who love me when something is bothering me. Now, this is not to say in the slightest that I don't get overwhelmed or feel the overwhelm of our busy world. I feel overwhelmed by the hurt I see in the world or the hundreds of emails that I get in any given week or how to balance a budget or the three phones that I'm responsible for all ringing at once or the things on my to-do list at home or at work. When I feel this way, I pause. I try to acknowledge the tight feeling in my stomach. I take a deep breath. I tell myself that I can do hard things and I reframe my thinking from doom to something that makes me happy. I try to talk to others and reach out, even if it is just to say the words out loud. Reframing and telling others doesn't make the overwhelm go away, but it does make it easier to approach the overwhelm with grace and integrity, which I hope to always be able to do. You might notice that there's a certain theme about water today. It's about the whole service, of course, is about overwhelm and resiliency. And it's. Um, I was thinking about talking about how I have this intention of coming to every Sunday with everything tied up neatly. And um, I decided not to do that this morning, and I was very glad 
because as I started, well, kind of two pages into the sermon, the doors opened behind me, and the wind started blowing the papers, and I had to say, I'll be back in a minute, and I had to go and close things, and then the last page of my sermon went rogue. So, um, you know, it's good to be with you on this second service. Laura Danut-Lipsky is the author of The Age of Overwhelm, a book that is required reading for Unitarian Universalist seminary students at Star King School for the Ministry in Berkeley. Lipsky's professional expertise is building personal and professional resiliency as well as resilient organizations. And I'll be preaching from her work and the work of others probably seasonally um, as we approach Well, October and November especially. If someone asked me to name a superpower that I would love to have in my command, it wouldn't be to magically become invisible to go wherever I wanted or, God forbid, to listen to the thoughts of others. I would forego the ability to fly, although... That is the childhood dream, and I do it in my own night dreaming sometimes, still now. And I certainly wouldn't want the superpower of being able to see the future. What fun would that be? I would want to have a resilient mind, resilient emotions and spirit. And if we're talking about, well, having this be a superpower... With my propensity for breaking things when I fall, why not ask for a resilient body, too? When psychologists refer to resiliency, it's the ability to recover from difficulties and be emotionally strong. But strength alone really isn't enough. Resiliency requires flexibility of spirit and the ability to be emotionally nimble when dealing with something new, something unexpected. And those who are resilient can imagine making, as the Quakers say, a way when there is no way. By changing either something about themselves or finding what they have the ability to change in their surroundings, they can assess When change is needed, and they do it. Resiliency is more than surviving. It's like rafting down the rapids of a river, which is what life feels like right now. It really does, at least to me. And for those members of the board who are present, I just want you to know that in a former congregation, that is how our board learned to bond, was to go river rafting together. And now we do improv together. It's a little different, but it's kind of the same idea. If I could have that superpower, I'd want to be confident that when change is coming too fast in the river of life, and what I counted on as supporting me turns upside down, I'd be able to climb on board again and continue on that journey. And resiliency is one of the most popular words for 2020. You know, um, some people have this thing where they find a word for the year and they, they labor over this. Well, resiliency is, if not the word, one of the top words 
because leaders are discovering its importance in managing our lives in what has now become called the age of overwhelm. Overwhelm builds slowly and it accumulates. We feel responsible for the crises of the world, the pressures at home and work. Every day we are bombarded with headlines, um, with both outrageous messages many times a day and the countering reactions of outrage. It's outrage for outrage. And there are so many legitimate justice issues for us to address. It is impossible for each person to effectively respond to the number of issues facing us today. And all of the issues that come before us on a daily basis are important. I just want to say that. They are important and we know it. The injustices we witness are extensive, and for those who live on the edge of society, they feel the overwhelm the most. And with the current administration, more and more people in our country are being moved, moved to the edge of society. People respond to overwhelm in different ways, and I have heard all of these responses in this congregation. Some people are always in action. I don't mean just addressing issues. I mean really always in action. And they feel, they feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. And others are soul-tired, right down to the marrow of their bones. And one is saying... Why aren't others with me? And the others are saying, if people ask me one more thing. Those who have experienced trauma become hypervigilant and are continuously anxious and afraid. And these people are among us too. And so we have rage, we have despair, we have apathy, we have fear. And sometimes there is an impatience with each other that separates us, not just here, everywhere. And losing our relationship with each other is our greatest loss. Intentionally overwhelming someone is a very effective tool to keep them emotionally off balance, to keep them disoriented. It can, it is a form of emotional abuse for all living things. Try this, don't try this, but imagine with any pet, if they are overwhelmed in different ways they cannot anticipate, what kind of an animal do they become anxious, afraid Overwhelm and imbalance for any system is destructive, including democracy. Having the ability to keep a sense of priorities and purpose and perspective. This is a powerful tool, both personally. And I just want to say that is a political action. Just keeping it together and being together. Because there are forces that wish for us not to be able to do that. 
to gain the skills to avoid the lure, and it is very seductive of overwhelm, is countercultural. Laura Dernhut Lipsky wrote to, uh, spoke to the Washington State Women's Correction Center about her child's exposure to a wide array of traumatic injustices in society. And as a parent who wants to eliminate the use of disposable water bottles, she saved those hard plastic and metal bottles that she received at conferences. And every morning she included a water bottle uh, in her child's lunch. She hadn't paid much attention to the printed messages on the bottles, but one day her child's water bottle came home with masking tape covering the words on the bottle sexual violence. This was a moment of awakening for her. She had stored dozens of water bottles from a variety of conferences for her family to use, and they had brought them with them everywhere. So she took them out, and she lined them up on the counter, and she read all of the messages. And the theme of each conference was printed on each bottle, Stop Domestic Violence, Keep Our Children Safe, End Human Trafficking, Address climate crisis, gun control now. And she realized that her children carried these messages with them every day. And if her child didn't consciously notice the printed message, others did. And it was actually a little frightening that her child hadn't noticed the message. She realized how much her own family and others were surrounded by countless messages of the pain and injustice in our world. And just like those, the accumulation of all those water bottles in Lipsky's kitchen cupboard, far from needing to be reminded of the pain in the world, there seemed to be no escape. At one point in her life, Lipsky had become ineffective as a rapid response emergency organizer. She went on a hike with family in Hawaii, And they were standing on the edge of a cliff, looking at the beautiful, beautiful view of the ocean. And she started just musing out loud, not very loud, just kind of speaking to herself. Hmm, if someone were to fall from that spot, would they survive? And where was the nearest hospital? And would they land the helicopter here or down there? And her parents, her friends, looked at her incredulous. And she realized that most people would take this hike to this breathtaking view and just admire it. And family and colleagues and even her clients, she said this was really frightening, that her clients were encouraging her to just take a little time off. (laughs) She was just a little bit too intense. And these were the people she was trying to help. She had internalized the troubles of the world and was living in a state of overwhelm. And anyone who has been a helping professional might have experienced this. To be resilient, we need to have relationships of trust and where generosity in all of its forms is a key component to our connection together. Only then can we keep our focus and discover what we can do. Arthur McCollum 
Gadwell told the story of Vernon Jordan and other civil rights attorneys who defended a young black man in 1961 in Georgia. They experienced bigotry day after day. They were rejected in restaurants in town, and when it was time for lunch, they sat in the car outside the courthouse to eat their bologna sandwiches. I'd almost forgotten what bologna was, but this story reminded me. The judge and the opposing lawyers and the court officials all ate in the whites-only restaurants in town. And one day, a quiet woman waved to Vernon in the vestibule of the courthouse, and she asked him to come to her home for lunch instead of eating in the car. And she and her neighbors had cooked a lavish feast. And when the gathering bowed their heads for grace before eating, her husband said, Lord... In this county, we can't join the NAACP. But thanks to your bountiful blessings, Lord, we can feed the NAACP lawyers. It was a gesture of kindness and support for that team that the attorney never forgot, and it helped him to know that he was not alone. And in the gesture of kindness was a message of hope that change is possible. Maybe not for him alone, but because he was joined by others. Gladwell's story takes the overwhelming national issue of racism in our country and reveals a person-to-person resilient response. And there was a way to support the NAACP when there was no way to join the organization in that county. Our responses to personal and the global needs are not isolated from one another. After listening to the impeachment trials and the State of the Union address this last week, I became even more alarmed for our democracy. And I expected to feel despair It comes and goes for me. But at the end of the day, I was amazed. My emotions had shifted to a determination to strengthen my chosen superpower. The author and environmentalist activist Terry Tempest Williams wrote that the human heart is the first home of democracy. This is where we embrace our questions. Can we be equitable? Can we be generous? Can we listen with our whole being, not just our mind, and offer our attention rather than our opinions? And do we have enough resolve in our hearts to act courageously, relentlessly, without giving up ever, trusting our fellow citizens to join with us in a determined pursuit of a living democracy. I can't control many things in this country, but I can control my own response to them. And this sermon is about keeping emotional balance so we can be effective as human beings in relationship, and as a result, we can create change for the good of all. And that is changing the world. 
One effective response to overwhelm comes for caring for our own health and well-being, preserving a deep sense of self. And Audre Lorde said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. This is a woman of color, a woman of color who is lesbian. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. I will exist, and I will thrive. Care for your health. Go into nature. Lose yourself in laughter and art and friendship. And that's how we will stay in touch with our humanity. What is in our individual control can become what is in our collective control. And as a collective, change is possible. I don't believe any longer that we can afford to say that it is, entire, that it is entirely out of our hands. We made the world we're living in and we have to make it over. James Baldwin. On an individual and community level, we need to be well. We need to be connected to each other. How can we live consistently by that family who brought the civil rights attorney into their home for a meal? When the demands of life sweep in and disorient us, Sages from the past and present ask us to be aware of our intention, our deep intention for who we will be, for how we will be in relationship with the world, from our loved ones to the causes we wish to promote. Being able to name our intention, they say, functions like the banks of a river giving our life direction. Begin as we plan to continue even in one day and don't expect perfection because we will not find it. But it will always be better than if we had no plan at all. So discover what it is possible to do. The message of our intention is what we choose to notice and lean toward in our day and then in our life. For example, I may choose to support the importance of family, and that will inform how I treat my own family from the moment I wake until I sleep in every interaction. And will I get it right all the time? No. But if I say, this importance is the safety of family or the well-being of family, it could be that I wish to also support asylum families being together in the safety of this country, and maybe I have the money to make a large donation for their support. It's possible. But it's likely that I cannot single-handedly fund a family seeking asylum 
but perhaps I can buy a ticket to a dinner fundraiser that will help to pay that family's rent. And it's possible, but I can't pay for a ticket. But I can be one of the cooks preparing that meal at night for those people who do have tickets. Maybe I don't have time to cook that meal at the fundraiser, and I don't have money to buy a ticket, and I can't fund a family on my own. But I have the ability to thank the cooks and to offer gratefulness. All of these things connect us in living a life that supports the safety and the well-being of families. So if we can decide on the intention of our life, we will discover what it is possible to do together, large and small ways, and stave off that feeling of overwhelm because we are doing this together. And if you have a chance to support the families who are seeking asylum in Davis. There will be ways in the future for you to be a part of this effort, small ways and large. And to that I say, amen. And may you have the superpower of resilience and join me in flying. I invite you into a time of prayer and meditation. A time when you are invited to think about what is going to form the banks of your river of life. That when you get to the end of the day, you say, that was a pretty good day. And I invite you into a time of quiet to look within and consider the superpower, the strength that you have. The singing bowl will welcome us into that quiet and, and bring us out. this prayer, continuing the poem that you heard as a reading. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when the canvas frays and the stain of the ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. And may the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. And may the protection of the ancestors be yours.
This morning we will be commissioning our visiting stewards, and um, there is an article about these wonderful people in your bulletin, but I ask you not to read that entirely now, but rather to have them come forward, which is Steve Burns and Emily Burstein and Barbara Clutter, David Kopik, Carol Corbett, Walt, Walt Fulday, Liz Garman, Sharon Hale, Tiffany Eckbach, Betty Hester's, Brendan McCarthy, Tracy McCarthy, Ted Swift, Karen Urbano, Ramon Urbano, Marty West. Morgan is not here. She is over in the Bridge House, but trust me. <laughs> Morgan is here. Amazing. And Matt Silkey. <clears throat> that was stunning. <clears throat> I've got more power than I realized. <laughs> Our Board of Trustees, the stewardship team, visiting stewards, and clergy, Reverend Beth and Reverend Morgan, have come together as one team. We are committed to living our congregation's mission statement, to welcome each and all, cultivating the spirit, serving others in our quest for justice. the smallest print. (laughs) One of the most important reasons we gather together as a congregation is to experience community and the strength of, of support it creates. This year we will continue our priority to have conversations with one third of the congregation. Over the course of three years, everyone will have an opportunity opportunity to speak with the visiting steward about their life, their hopes and dreams for the congregation, and to explore their relationship with the church. These conversations are supportive and respectful. All of us on this team offer our commitment to model a culture of connection and generosity. The Latin root of the word religion means to hold together, connect, but the word religion doesn't assume a random connection. It is to connect oneself to that which sustains love, the love that gives life meaning and enlarges our focus for what is beyond ourselves. As a church, our commitment is to create more opportunities for relationships of connection, clearer ways to show our values and through our actions, and to experience the support of the spirit of love. And I just want you to know that you are going to be asked to respond in just a second. So heads up, people. As Unitarian Universalists, when we are generous, we create the independent web of the congregation. How we choose to live together reflects the identity of this congregation, the spirit of our relationships, and what we can do together. This is our commitment. As members and friends, we we are the life of this congregation. We are are ready ready to hear about your experiences and your dreams. Each of us has different fears, hopes, and values related to money. We also bring different levels of commitment and financial resources. These often change over time. May we always give, understanding that our generosity is not measured by dollar amount, but by giving generously according to our means. This is our promise. We We pledge generously to support this community and bring bring our our values values to to the the world. world. 
we are prepared to speak honestly and respectfully about generosity and money. We each have different talents. The time we offer may be large or small. Sometimes we cannot volunteer, but need to receive from others. Our ability to give our time and talent changes with our life circumstances. With this understanding, we ask that you consider the time and talent you can offer this community. For those who are at the center of leadership, we also invite you to make space for others to experience the rewarding connection of leadership. In this way, we support our community. Well, we right, our, our time and talent, both great and small. We are ready to hear about your time and talents. We are ready to be surprised. All of this is done in anticipation of getting to know you better. This is an opportunity to hear each other's ideas, perceptions, and beliefs. Celebrating this church, ensuring its future, is ours to do together. If you receive a call for a stewardship visit, open yourself to weaving a stronger web of belonging for our whole community. If your visit will be in future years and you have something you would like to share, please look for our stewards table. This is our commitment. We welcome our friends, friends our UCD stewards. May we come to know each other in new ways and continue to weave a strong web of belonging. Together, we'll deepen our community and cultivate our connections. May it be so. And I just want to say that these folks came together for a training and all received um, chocolate telephones. Emily hasn't gotten her yet, and yours yet, but they were so um, so realistic looking that we had some people trying to offer their phones into like a phone basket thinking that we were collecting phones so that no one would use them during the meeting. Um, I almost got some really good phones that way. But anyways, it, um, thank you so much to everyone. And they selected so many names to visit that every single person who was on our list will receive a visit or a call. So thank you to everyone who has agreed to do this and to those who will also receive their visit. Thank you. And so we extinguish a chalice of that candle of sorrow. May they have been diminished by our time together. And the pillar candle of joy, may more go with us as we leave. And the chalice itself, mm, if you have heard a message here that is for you, I hope that you take it with you today and that it inspires you for the week. So Adonai's poem continues. When the canvas frays and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And may a slow wind work these words of love around you an invisible cloak to mind your life. And let this gathering say amen. amen.